welcome to Tales, Tunes, and Tom Fullery, starring Jerry Springer, along with Gene Galvin and me. I'm Megan Hills. We're recorded live in front of a brilliant studio audience at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. My daddy. And ladies and gentlemen, here he is, Mr. Jerry Springer. so much and uh, look uh, Merry Christmas Happy Hanukkah we're getting this is about the time huh? yeah I know I want to ask you something and by the way we have uh, our musical guests are Warwick and Lowell Lowell and yep. they are <laughs> excellent they will be on shortly and we're also going to ask Jerry to talk about to compare he's such a political history savant he knows everything <laughs> <laughs> about uh, presidential history. Is this a so setup? we're going to ask him to talk about Trump's first year, which is ending, and comparing that to other presidents in their first years. There might be something interesting to talk about that. But I want, And then speaking of government, I wanted to ask you a question, Jerry, and you, Megan, as well. Sure. Start with you, Jerry. Do you, you have been mayor of Cincinnati, you were a city council member for many years, very popular, but we, you and I both witnessed that mm -hmm. from living in the Cincinnati area. But, it, and I know you've talked about, and it, we, we dealt with the whole thing of would you run for governor of Ohio, and you announced a few weeks ago that you basically cannot for a bunch of really good reasons. Do you currently serve in government, currently? No, I financially support the government yes. but I don't <laughs> yeah. but that is more than I want to but I do yeah no I don't I do not I do not have a government job position at the moment uh, do you Megan oh, do you serve in government no Gene I that do is not. no correct <laughs> Megan correct okay well Gene do you serve in government well that's that's funny that's why I brought it up <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It it's appears so to weird. me, what? wait a minute, I think I might be getting a call. No. no. <laughs> I put my phone on silent because I was told to, and wouldn't it be interesting? That's when I would finally get a call. I think that'd be the first call I you ever got on that cell phone. Job. Well, you it's, don't have a job. I, when do you have a job? I was appointed to the City of Ludlow Park Advisory Board. You wow. advise parks? I, I advise, <laughs> no, I advise city council and the mayor oh. on the vision for the parks of the city of Ludlow. How many people are on this board? I actually don't know. Excellent. Yeah. And do, do, you, do you guys have meetings? I actually don't know that. Yeah. <laughs> what would and you what, say you do, Gene? A, <laughs> I'm not sure. Is this a paid position? I wish that it was, but I'm betting it's not. Yeah. Now, here's the deal. Do you have a vision? For parks? <laughs> well, I just had an eye test, as a matter of fact. And, yeah. and no, look, look. Oh I, I am, it is not a paid position. And, and then when the mayor called me, I said, dead serious, I said, I will help this city of Ludlow any way I'm asked. I love the city of Ludlow. That's yeah. no joke. That's a great yes. place. Talks about true. that a lot. And I live in this city. So in the park board, you know, lays out, as explained to me by the mayor, the vision, advising them on what we think the vision for the parks in Ludlow should be. And there mm -hmm. are two or three parks and yeah, some good, good property. Very nice. 
So I'm looking forward to it. My favorite TV show is Parks and Recreation. That's a great show. That's my that preparation. Yeah. I love that's your, that show. That's your background work that's there. Parks background. and Rec. Yeah, Parks and Rec. And Are you more of a Leslie Nope or a Ron yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm more that guy. Uh, what is the character's name who was her campaign advisor, yeah. her boyfriend? That oh, guy. yeah. Uh, oh, what's his name? Oh, shoot. I can't. Yeah. Ben. Ben Wyatt. Ben, ben, yeah. Ben, yeah. Ben, Wyatt. ben Wyatt. Yeah, I'm kind of the Ben Wyatt <laughs> kind of guy. And you, you know how to park. I do know how to park. <laughs> yeah. In fact, you're lucky because you get a lot of tickets to park. I did. Wow. I, as a matter of fact, I got a stop by. This is going nowhere in a hurry, gentlemen. <laughs> how, did they, how did they call him? Is there know. no one left in Ludlow? No. They all, they all, they're all working in normal jobs. Gene was the only one left. No. <laughs> well, he's got nothing do to do. go out there and mow or... What do you I advising? guess I would if asked. I don't, really don't know. No, we're, we're going to have a meeting soon. Oh, and I, was, I was I recommended. I think I was recommended by Catfish. Cat, Catfish, that is his real name. And for yeah. our listeners, he is. He owns the Folk School Coffee Parlor yes. here in Ludlow, Kentucky. Yes. And he is was the highest vote getter on the, in the city council election of last year. He was, was he really? I think yeah. he's got a future. He really was. That's no, yeah. That's really yeah. cool. I had no idea. And his of course, name, if his name had been Joe, maybe not. No way, but you put Catfish <laughs> on the ballot. That's exactly right. His name is Matt Williams. And, and But on the ballot, these guys were sharp. Mm -hmm. They put on the ballot, because everybody calls him Catfish. Mm -hmm. So they put on the ballot, Catfish Williams. And, and, but look, all kidding aside, he is revered in this smart. community. Everybody knows about Catfish, yeah. and they love what he's doing here. And so he is my power source. I'm on the park board <laughs> because I know Catfish. <laughs> he's your people? Is that... Or are you his people? Jeez, I never thought of that. I got people. <laughs> you have a person. Let's not do so it my people. So if you want, if I want something done in this town, I can call you. You can call I call Cat, Matt. Matt. A catfish. catfish. And then Catfish calls, I don't know, I guess the yeah. city manager and gets it done. Where is, give me an address of one of the parks. <laughs> he has no idea. <laughs> You're going to do great. This is a really good there. appointment. No, guys. I know exactly where the parks well, are. Could, yeah. You, I know exactly where the parks are. That's where the Curveball Classic was held as our oh, major park, well, which is go. on the river. That's and by safe. the way, Le City of Ludlow has, as I said earlier, great property for mm -hmm. parks. They are yep. largely sort of riverbank stuff. The big one is for sure. And uh, there is a uh, bike hike trail that's going 11 miles from the edge of the western edge of the city of Ludlow all the way to the eastern edge of Fort Mitchell, 11 miles away. Yep. It's going to be fantastic. Yeah. I'm a cyclist, and there are plenty of people who are. It's a growing number. So, and that, that's not exactly a park, but I'm going to try to kind of work a little bit of conversation into that because I'm such a fan of getting that thing completed. Yeah. Got to raise some money for yeah. it, little sections Good. done. That's really cool. Congratulations, Jane. Oh, yeah, he'll be coming to me for the money. Yeah, Thank no you. kidding. <laughs> how does he know that? I, I mean, I, that is what I'm going to do, but how does he know that? Every project. Every, hey, Jerry, isn't that true? He gets involved in. Hey, Jerry, hey, I need Jerry. some money. Jerry, isn't that true? That is so true. Jerry, I got Every a great idea for project. you. You got a Give job? Yeah, I hey, one that. last question. Yes. Dude. Why is it when people meet you that you haven't met before, and I've, I've witnessed this, they will say, hey, or they want a selfie or something. Hey, Jerry, how you doing? Jerry Springer. Uh, and they always say, well, I, I don't watch your show. And then they have their conversation with you. Yeah, they, it, And they it, might be lying, by the way, but they're all afraid to say. I mean, even when they Big say fan. something nice, you know, <laughs> I saw you give a political talk or something, or I really appreciate yeah. it. I don't watch your show. 
they have to put that in. That caveat. As if that gives them credibility. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. So that's like an opening statement. Hi, Jerry. Look, I'm not, I, you know, like they'll come over for, right, at the restaurant, we're sitting down, they want a picture. Yeah. yeah. Jerry, I hate to interrupt. And I don't watch your show, but <laughs> yeah. I would never watch that my trash. Kid, yeah. <laughs> my kid really likes it. Yeah. But the people that are really the cool people that'll come up, like college kids come yeah. up, oh, or hey. people who aren't in college, but they say, I've heard this a bunch of times, they'll say to Jerry, they'll walk over and they'll start bitching at him, like, I, my God, my grades went down because of you in college. Yeah. Why? I cut class to watch your show. Well, good life choices all over the place. <laughs> <in certain laughs> That's right. The, but they, the best one, uh, the, the thing I get most often, though, is, and, and this is from any age, people, they will say, you know, I was, you know, sick for a couple of weeks or mm -hmm. I had, to, you know, some work done. When I'm homesick, I watch your show. Mm -hmm. And I, of course, always say, you got to be sick to watch my show. <laughs> yeah. But that is our audience. And today, <laughs> God's truth, someone, because we taped shows today, some guy, you know, I always take questions in the beginning. I joke around with the audience and then let them ask questions. And this one guy said, I was in prison for seven years. We watch you every day. <laughs> Well, now we know your fan base. Wow, and, that's special. And it is true. If you yeah. know anyone who works in a prison, and also in waiting rooms uh, at hospitals. Hospitals, yeah. Or doc not so much doctors, but in hospitals. Yeah. Waiting rooms and prisons. Prisons. I am huge. <laughs> On the prison I circuit. I beat Oprah like a rented mule. <laughs> Well, now we'll have to talk to your publicist about doing a prison tour for... Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> Dear I may, Lord. I may not leave. Once I'm in. I didn't make a note of that. She's <laughs> oh, like, that's, that's a great idea. idea. <laughs> that's a great idea. <laughs> hey, that's a great idea. We could take the podcast into a prison. We're not doing that, Gene. That's not going to happen. <laughs> I'm they out. may Come not on. let us leave. You guys can. How, how about that? Here's an idea. <laughs> yeah. You two do it. <laughs> and oh, I'll no, tell you no. how it goes. No, we're going to talk. That actually would be a very cool idea. Okay. Anyway. Uh, why, why, why am I the only one who thinks that's cool? That's a cool idea, isn't it? Yeah. I have to tell you with Jerry all the time. Don't encourage him. Did you really? Yeah. Um, uh, New Jersey, and it was uh, a serious prison. Raw. Oh, I should know the name of it, but it was in New Jersey, and um, Chrissy wasn't in. In no, no, no. He, he's, no, no. This is, but this was coming. about fifteen years ago. But we did it, you know, and talked with the inmates there, and then we went to a woman's prison which was really interesting because that was about the time that um, a, a new defense was coming, that a woman that is being abused, mm -hmm. uh, there was this one woman in there, I forget her name, but she was in prison, convicted. Um, she, had, she had killed uh, her, her, her husband, but her husband had been beating her mm. for like 10 straight years. I mean, horribly, and one day she just yeah. lost it and... And killed him, and so that became a defense. And there was kind of a oh, movement at that time. So that was, yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, put that in the parking lot, Gene. We can talk about that on another show. Yeah, I, I like <laughs> yeah, right after my show. jokes. Yeah, right. When, hey, uh, yes. Trump finishes is finishing his first year, making a big deal today. The House passed the budget reform bill, whatever. The, however, they're yeah. touting it, and the Senate's going to do that tonight as we are recording this show on the 19th of December. Uh, when you look at Donald Trump's 
first year, and you'll give him credit for that, I assume. In other words, that, that's going to be part of your analysis. They'll probably get this tax reform thing through today. The tax bill, not tax reform. bill. Well, tax you could speak to that as reform. well. But how yeah. do you compare what he did in his first year to other presidents that you know about? Well, if, if you think of presidents in their first year, the best, because when you consider all the chaos of the first year, and all the lying, the indictments, the resignations, the talk of impeachment, um, you know, the firings. I mean, just, you know, the chaos the whole country has gone through with his first year as president. It, the only one that comes to mind, certainly in our lifetime, would be Nixon, but in the first year of his second term. The first year of his second term was kind of a lot like this. And, you know, as soon as you mention the word impeachment or consideration of it or some people are talking about it, I just saw a poll today, 41% of Americans think that, um, you know, there are grounds for impeachment. That's just, you know, people giving their opinion, not on any basis of fact just yet. But out of the language is starting to be the same as existed with Nixon, in other words, there, the, the, all the talking heads say these things. The, the famous line from Senator Baker at the time at the Watergate hearings back in 73 was, what did he know, referring to Nixon, what did he know and when did he know it? And that's basically a question in terms of the Russia investigation um, that is being asked now you know, with Trump and the people in it. What did he know and when did he know it? And then you also hear the phrase, you know, it's not the crime, it's the cover-up. And that became part of our lexicon um, here in America now with Trump. But I think there's another question which is most significant, and it turned out historically, though we didn't know it at the time, to be the most significant question about Nixon and explain something about that history. And that question is, it's the why of the crime in the first place, not the crime was very big, or not that the cover-up was extensive, but the question we never really got to with Nixon, and we're not getting to yet with Trump, is why did all this happen? For example, think of Nixon. It's 1972, June of 72, which is, 72 is the election year. He's running for re-election, and he's running against McGovern. It's June of that election year. There is no way in the world anybody thought that Nixon would lose to McGovern. Remember, Watergate hasn't happened yet. No one knows about it yet. And so Nixon was on his way to a landslide victory over McGovern, which, by the way, he got anyway. So you ask yourself, why did Watergate happen? Watergate was a third-rate burglary of an office, the Democratic headquarters office in the building called the Watergate. And the guys that burgled it flubbed it up. They put scotch tape there to keep the door from closing. They just bungled it, and they were caught by a night guard there. And so that was the crime. That was the specific crime that started this whole thing. Nobody believes that, 
you know, that burglary would be enough to bring about the threat of impeachment, which led to the resignation of Nixon. And then there was this whole cover-up of that burglary. Why did everyone go through that? All these people around Nixon lying, trying to keep quiet that whole operation of burglarizing the Democratic Party headquarters. What were they looking for? Why was Nixon jeopardizing what obviously was going to be a landslide victory? We didn't find out what all of this was until a few years ago. See, here's what here's what was the reason behind Watergate, and then I'll relate it to what's going on today. It had to do not with 1972. It had to do with Nixon running in 1968. In 1968, he was running for the first term. But 1968 was the most cataclysmic uh, political year in America in, uh, of the 20th century in, in terms of American politics. 1968, you had the assassinations and the burning cities and the riots in Chicago and et cetera. But entering the campaign, the Democratic Party had imploded. Because of the Vietnam War, Lyndon Johnson was challenged in his own party by Gene McCarthy and Bobby Kennedy. Then, facing that and facing the war getting out of control, Johnson announces on March 31st of 68, I shall not seek nor will I accept the nomination of my party to run for president. So he drops out. It's too late. But he didn't want Kennedy or McCarthy because they were challenging him. Who was now going to be the standard bearer of the Democratic Party? For the institutional people, they wanted his vice president, Hubert Humphrey. So Humphrey entered none of the primaries, but he became the, the establishment's candidate on the Democratic side. Well, then we go to the convention in Chicago. There are riots there. We, you know, Humphrey was the vice president to Johnson. He had supported the war all along. Young people, liberals, wanted no part of that. So the Democratic Party just exploded. Humphrey got the nomination, despite the riots on the street in Chicago. He got the nomination. But the day after the Democratic convention, Nixon was ahead in the polls by 15%. Going into the fall campaign of 1968, no way Nixon was going to lose. As we get closer to the election, Humphrey starts gaining a little, a, a little, getting a little bit closer because Democrats were starting to come home and they had a whole history of not liking Nixon. But Nixon was still ahead. He was still going to win. And Nixon concluded and people around him concluded that the only way he will lose this election to Humphrey in 1968 was if a week before the election, we would have what then became known as the October surprise. The word was out that Lyndon Johnson could stop the bombing of North Vietnam, bring North Vietnam to the, to the negotiations, peace negotiations, and the start of peace negotiations a week before the election would satisfy the peace wing of the Democratic Party, they would come home and Humphrey would beat Nixon. The only thing 
which could have defeated Richard Nixon in 1968 was if the peace talks started that last week before the election. Nixon knew it. And here's what Watergate four years later was about. Nixon set up a back channel to the president of South Vietnam, because if you're going to have the peace negotiations, it has to be South Vietnam on our side and North Vietnam, backed by China and the Soviet Union. So Nixon had a contact. Her name was Chennault. She was married. uh, She was a Chinese woman who was married to an American uh, Air Force general during World War II. She was had real connections, and she knew the president of South Vietnam. Nixon gave the message to her, please tell your your president, don't go to the talks, put a halt to it until after the election, because right after the election, you, the South Vietnamese, will get a better deal from me because I'll be tougher in North Vietnam than Humphrey would be. So don't negotiate the peace settlement now. You want me to be president, and I'll give you a better deal. Chu, who was the president of South Vietnam, agreed. And four days before the election, said no peace talks. So basically, Nixon put a halt to those peace talks, which didn't resume for another four years. Tens of thousands of Americans not to mention South Vietnamese, even North Vietnamese, were killed in the next four years because we didn't have those peace talks. That amounted to treason. Now, Lyndon Johnson, and the reason we know this is because the diaries have now been published from Haldeman. Haldeman was the chief of staff to Nixon. And in his diaries, this all comes out. In addition, the tapes that Lyndon Johnson had, because he taped the White House as well back then. So this is what Lyndon Lyndon Johnson heard all about this a week before when it happened. He calls Dirksen, who is the Senate majority leader on the Republican side, and using pretty colorful language, saying, your candidate, that SOB, just committed a treasonous act. And you better get him to reverse his position or there's going to be trouble. Johnson didn't think that they would really say anything about it, but he wanted Nixon to know. Now you say, if Johnson knew, why didn't he go to the media that evening and tell, ladies and gentlemen, the United States, this candidate has just committed treason. We were ready to go to peace talks. It was canceled because of what Nixon said and he pulled South Vietnam out, and, and now you, all the future deaths that come, you know. Why didn't he do it? Because the United States did not want South Vietnam and the Soviet Union to know that we were bugging their embassies. That's how we got the tapes. That's how we found out what was going on. So... The American public never found out. Nixon's elected. Lyndon Johnson lives another four years. Nixon always knew that Johnson knew. And Nixon's greatest fear was that one day they would find out and he would go to prison. And so you say, wait a second. He can't go to prison. Gerald Ford pardoned him. 
No. Gerald Ford pardoned him for any crime Nixon committed while he was president of the United States from January 20th, 1969 till August 8th of 74. But this was a week before the election. He wasn't president yet, so he could have been tried and convicted of treason. Until the day Nixon died, this was his great fear. They broke in four years later in Watergate to the Democratic Party headquarters, and you also remember the Pentagon Papers. Nixon was panicked that the Democrats had some information, some records in their, in their files of this. That is the story of Watergate. The question we always say, it's not the crime, it's the cover-up. But the question we never asked is, why was there the crime in the first place? Now we come to Donald Trump. Obviously, none of us have any inside information. But instead of worrying about, you know, what the cover-up is, Mueller will find that out. But the real significant question is, why were they having these meetings? Why were they trying to cover it up? There is no crime in meeting with the Russians. In fact, presidential candidates often meet with foreign leaders during the campaign. Virtually every American candidate for president goes to Israel to meet with the uh, Israeli prime minister. And they go, in, they go to England. They go around the world because they want to show they know world events. It's, it's done. There's nothing illegal about that. So you have to ask yourself, why is everyone secretive about this? Why, what is it that they're trying to cover up? So when you wonder whether Trump is going to finish his first term, the only question that that's based on is what was it that they were trying to cover up. If it was something that is really a serious threat to American security, then he's gone. If it's not, you know, and it was just some banking thing or something like that, that's a crime, but it wouldn't affect necessarily the security of the United States unless he makes decisions based on that. But that's going to determine whether or not Trump survives, not the stuff we're hearing in the papers right now, on the news right now. It's the why of the crime, not the cover-up. All right. Thank you, Jerry. And coming up to our stage now, we have Warwick and Lowell. Hi, guys. They're making their way up through, through the sea of the crowd here. <laughs> Boy, tens of thousands tens of, of thousands people. of people they have to wake all the oh time. my word hey guys welcome how are you good how are you doing well it's in perfect unison look at that we're we practiced. practiced you've we practiced done this that. before yeah. <laughs> um so where are you guys from tell us a little bit about yourselves and we'll we're we're from cincinnati originally yeah. from indiana and you've been with us before we have yeah, yeah. we were here last year that's right that's yeah right. we're excited to be back again for sure so but absolutely. we're we're brothers i'm warwick ford this is my brother lowell ford and We've been playing music together now for probably about three years, I guess. Excellent. But longer than that, you know, well, probably more like ten. But see, just brothers fighting again—they're all <laughs> three. <laughs> all right. So first song that we have this evening is Two Lonely Fools." Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, this is one of the more traditional-sounding country songs we do. All right. Uh, let's hear it, Warwick and Lowell. Mm-hmm. 
too lonely for Inside of this room Bottoms are empty Spinning blues With our hearts are all broken Songs out of tune But it's too lonely for Who's inside of this room Well, she ran out of love A long time ago Went searching for a way to be free She got lost on the way Got mad and afraid As she's marching on some parade There's a pain that he's had Like an ocean of bed And it's starting to show on his face They get washed out to sea By quarter Wake up in the same lonely place They play on that jukebox or tired and worn out from crying. And the letters they write to each other at night never get wet when that don't help when you're fixing the blues. Too long a fool. Beautiful harmony. Thank you. 
And you can hear more of their music at warwickandlowell.com. That's W-A-R-R-I-C-K, correct? Not H. That's right. And Lowell, L-O-W-E-L-L.com. And you guys have an album coming out on December 30th. We do. We're very excited. Is yeah, this your first album? First, first full length. It's going to be self-titled, and we're releasing it down the street at the Southgate House uh, very cool. next Saturday. That's yeah. very, very exciting. But it'll be available on Spotify and iTunes and very CD cool. Baby and all the places. Yeah. All right. Um, and your next song is Eloise? Yeah, yeah. Right. It's a song I wrote about a fictional woman. A fictional character? A fictional woman. I'm okay. married to a real woman, and her name's not Eloise. So I want to be like... <laughs> That's good that you're married truth to Truth in advertising. Eloise. <laughs> <clears throat> oh, Eloise. Find someone new who breaks you in two like no he'll do. You've gotta leave. There's work left to do while it's out in the field while I can't see. in the rush Sign Street Bar Suitcase lands hard On the bar next to me So what you gonna do If you're looking for you Place just like this. So, what you gonna do? Eloise, I can't come with you. Got miles of trouble behind me. Too many years that you haven't seen. No two open wounds, nothing but bleed. Cherry and yellow.
I'll sleep good tonight With the thought of you And your faded blue dress And the smell of your perfume Started off fresh Started off new And Lowell, you can check them out at warwickandlowell.com. Yeah, no, that was that was really really nice, guys. Thank you very much. All right, and you're gonna take your your whole career to the next level here with Down by the Riverside and Jerry Springer. So good luck. <laughs> I hope we get to see you back again. <laughs> take it away. Thanks a lot, guys. Again, check them out warwickandlowell.com. Can you put off the uh, release of your new album? <laughs> just push it back by four days? Push it back just a few days. What, Let what, people get over this. <laughs> okay. I'm going to lay down my heavy load Down by the riverside Down by the riverside Listening to Tales, Tunes, and Tom Foolery, recorded live at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. Thanks to Patrick Henry for writing our opening song, and to you for listening. Check out our website, jerryspringer.com.